0: Welcome to the 232nd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, a look at week eight of college football, our look at week seven of the NFL, and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions. Those are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Let's start in the NFL, where Patrick went 3-1 with his weekend predictions, and similarly, in college football, Patrick went three and one with his weekend predictions. That means he went six and two combined. And that brings him to an 833 and 556 overall record, a 60.0 winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well,
1: obviously, for the second week in a row, I feel pretty good about my predictions. I am 13 and three combined over the last two weeks. So that's a pretty good result um, for me. As I said to you, it's normally the point in the season where some things become, you know, you've seen enough teams against at least decent teams uh, in college football that it's pretty obvious where teams should be ranked and who's probably going to be able to beat who who's actually capable of pulling off an upset on the road. Who isn't? um, And pretty much this is the point of the season where I start to get more correct, I would say most years, uh, maybe a little earlier right now, but still three and one this week. Uh, It started with Ohio State beating Penn State. I got that one right. Uh, Florida State beat Duke. That was another correct prediction. Alabama beat Tennessee. I got that one right. And then Utah beat USC on the last second field goal. That one was the only one I got wrong in college football. On the NFL, it started on Thursday Night Football where the Jaguars beat the Saints. I got that one right. Uh, The Ravens beat the Lions 38-6. to We'll talk about that one more. We'll talk about all these more uh, later, which is why I'm not going into too much depth. Um, And then the Steelers beat the Rams 24 to 17. I got that one wrong. That was the only one I got wrong. Uh, And the final game of my predictions was the Dolphins beating the Eagles 31 to 17. Uh, So a good week in both. Very satisfied with those results. And I guess I should say, okay, I guess, well, we're not talking about um, Florida State and Duke. So I should say that uh, Duke's quarterback got injured in the middle of the game. Uh, Florida State had some uh, they went for it on fourth down twice didn't get it at the beginning of the game they started out in a hole i think they were down 10 to nothing um but then they were able to come back they they were really they had i think 135 yards of offense and duke outside of one big running play had like 5 total yards but they were already winning 10 to nothing so it was clear that florida state was at least going to make that game close despite all the miscues early on um but eventually they just pulled away duke made a few mistakes of their own Uh, And with the backup quarterback in the game with Riley Leonard out, Florida state was able to take advantage and easily go on to win that game. Uh, And then the rest of those three in college football, I'm going to talk about uh, in our actual review of college football and same with those NFL games. So I will not go into too much depth on any of those, but overall a very good week, very satisfied with those results and hoping to do the same next week and adding NBA predictions this week because that season is starting. So uh, we, I will be happy to do that. And then, Two weeks from now, I think, yeah, no, next week, I will have college basketball predictions for once. or I guess maybe the season starts a weekend, not that weekend, but the week after. So I don't know. Two weeks or three weeks from now will be college will be college basketball as well. And there will be four leagues again uh, on my predictions.
0: Well, so one thing we do know is that Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. And we do know they will get beefed up in the weeks to come, uh, depending on when pro basketball and college basketball actually slot in um, and we'll have football remaining. So going to be some beefed up predictions uh, in the coming weeks. Let's now turn our attention, as Patrick hinted, to some of these uh, some of these games we're going to talk about in college football, uh, including the best games of week eight, where we will start Penn State, Ohio State.
1: Yeah, this one I had a hard time putting in a category because the fact of the matter is that that final touchdown that Penn State was able to score made the score look a lot closer than the game actually was. But frankly, I thought, I guess you could say you were impressed with Ohio State's defense, but I already thought they were a top three defense in the country. So I don't really, that didn't really surprise me that they were able to uh, stifle Penn State and stop them from scoring really effectively. Um, But I, I didn't want to put them in most impressive because again, I had already felt that way about their defense. And their offense had their first big challenge this season. And I wouldn't necessarily call that rising to the challenge. Um, They played a good game. They were okay, but Kyle McCord was not uh, what, you know, obviously it's, it's lofty expectations, but he wasn't Dwayne Haskins. He wasn't Justin Fields. He wasn't JT Barrett. He wasn't any of those guys. Um, And, or CJ Stroud, obviously, of course, the most recent quarterback for the Buckeyes, but Fact of the matter is, I don't think anybody expected him to be like that. It's just that I don't know if they are built as a team to win without having that um, at a high level. I think they can still be a top five, top ten team, but I don't think they're going to be able to make the playoff if they can't have elite quarterback play. Uh, and we have yet to see them make the playoff without elite quarterback play. And even in seasons where they have had it, they have sometimes missed the playoff. So that's kind of a worry for me long-term for Ohio State. On the Penn State side of things, I just will say that I don't have any confidence anymore. Not any confidence, but I don't really think that what I saw on Saturday is a good enough performance for a team to be able to beat Michigan just the way that Michigan has looked this season. Uh, Penn State's defense played okay. They played, obviously, all season long. They've been top three, top five. I think all those three teams at the top of the Big Ten are built off of defense, and they're all in the top five of the country in terms of best defenses, Um, but Still, Penn State's defense didn't didn't do anything that was spectacular, but they definitely weren't the problem in that game at all. Uh, definitely offensive execution. They were put in some bad spots by their offense uh, and couldn't really do anything when they were playing with uh, short fields for Ohio State. So, I mean, there's no one really to blame on either side. Both teams just didn't really have a unit that really shined other than, of course, Marvin Harrison Jr., but I feel like everything that came out in that game were were things we already knew and there were no new takeaways um, other than the fact that maybe Penn State is a little worse than most people thought because Drew Aller had a horrendous game. And I, again, don't really think that's entirely his fault. I think there were some poor play call choices and some uh, poor execution by the rest of the team in general. But I, I don't think that what I saw from Penn State offensively on Saturday is good enough to be not only just Michigan, but really any team in that elite tier. Uh, of college football right now but after that I'll move on to number six Oklahoma who barely escaped against UCF UCF scored 17 points in the second quarter to make it 17 to 17 at the half Uh, obviously this is the Dylan Gabriel revenge game as he transferred out from UCF to Oklahoma Uh, UCF still has not won a big 12 game meanwhile Oklahoma is 4-0 with Dylan Gabriel this year obviously he was there last year but he got injured in the middle of the year Uh, but Look, UCF made this game close in the second half. It was tied, like I said, going into the going into the second half. Um, they were up actually twenty three to seventeen going into the fourth quarter. But Oklahoma got two touchdowns, took the lead, um, and then UCF scored the final touchdown of the game to make it thirty one and twenty nine. But they had to go for two to tie it, and they weren't able to get the two point conversion. And as a result, Oklahoma escaped with the victory. Uh, not necessarily the most impressive, but. I will say Oklahoma's counterparts, number eight, Texas, they didn't play any better. And frankly, I think UCF is better than Houston. Um, But number eight, Texas, they beat Houston 31 to 24. Now, part of the reason why they didn't play as well is because Quinn Ewers was knocked out of this game. I believe they were up 21 to seven or 21 to nothing when he got knocked out. Um, and then Houston spurred a comeback offensively, made it 21 to 14 at the half. And then in the second half, I uh, had an opportunity to go down the field and win the game actually with about a minute left, they got the first down um, to make it first and goal, but the rest for some reason just decided that they didn't get the first down. So it became fourth down and then they dropped the pass on a good play call uh, on fourth and inches. And then Texas walked away with the victory after that one. But I don't really think um, that one was deserved. Honestly, I think at least that game deserved to go to overtime or, or maybe Dana Holgerson would have gone for two to try to steal the win. Uh, against Texas in that big game at home, but fact of the matter is, neither of those two teams at the top of the Big 12 looked amazing this weekend, Um, but that was the same for number five, Washington. Washington, they did not play well at all this weekend. Uh, They only had a field goal at the end of the first half. They had, I think, four turnovers on their first six possessions. Arizona State, though, only scored one touchdown off of that, and in the end of the game, only scored one touchdown, Uh, and when they were up, or excuse me, when they were down nine to seven, um, or no, no, they were up, excuse me, they were up seven to six, and they were driving on Washington finally, um, and they went for it on fourth and one from the 15 or the 16-yard line, uh, and their quarterback threw a pick six, and that gave Washington their first lead of the game, and then they kicked one more field goal to make it 15 to seven, but Washington really struggled. They were really in, uh, it was really in doubt for them this week. It wasn't like a just a low scoring, our defense dominated this game type of thing. They were losing, they were trailing that entire game basically until eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Um, so not an impressive performance from them either. This is kind of a, a a common thread with the top teams this weekend, except for one of them, and then the other ones that were on by. Um, but number eleven Alabama beat number seventeen Tennessee thirty-four to twenty. You might say that's not really a close game, but Tennessee was up twenty to seven at the half. It took a really big surge from Alabama at the beginning of the second half. Uh, offensively they figured some things out uh, ended up putting up 17 points on the board in the third quarter alone to take a 24 to 20 lead and never looked back from there uh, as they got 10 more points in the fourth to seal the game at 34 to 20 but a good game by Alabama that, that they played this weekend I again never really thought that Tennessee was uh, as good as most people think um, I think that generally if you were to if you were to somehow come up with a metric or you were just to compare rank, rankings versus the AP poll, that, like the actual AP poll, uh, and you did it on a team-by-team basis, whatever that number would be for Tennessee, I would be probably in the lower 25, 20th percentile-ish. Uh, I haven't been high on them all season long, so I'm not going to say that this win for Alabama is something that's going to galvanize them for the rest of the season. They're going to win out. They're going to beat Georgia in the SEC championship. I don't think it's anything like that. I think it's a good win over a team that they should beat, but frankly, they looked better than I expected them to, although that first half was really, really ugly. So there, there are multiple ways to look at it, but I think Alabama did what they need to do, needed to do in the end uh, to care, to take the victory home, and uh, they deserve credit for that.
0: Yeah, we won't go into it in detail, but uh, there were some uh, questionable decisions whether to go for it, when to punt, et cetera, by uh, some road teams that were trying to to beat a higher-ranked, uh, home team that that backfired on them, uh, but that's college football. Um, let's move away from the best games to the most impressive teams of week eight.
1: Well, I will start with number 20, Missouri, who beat South Carolina 34 to 12. This one I'll go through quickly. Uh, this game was supposed to be a, a semi-close game. Obviously, South Carolina is two and four, but last year, this was a team that snuck into the AP poll at the end of the year behind Spencer Rattler playing better. After a bad start to the year for him this year, he was on a good start off to a really good start, but they were still two and four. Um, And even if he gets better, it might not help them much. They still might miss a bowl game. But the fact of the matter is this was a good, this is a good South Carolina offense. At least the offense is good. (laughs) Um, So for Missouri to hold them to 12 points on just field goals is very, very, very impressive. Um, And then, you know, taking a 24 to three lead into the half and then ending up, with an 18-point victory. It's just impressive no matter who you're playing, but especially when you're playing a team that's very explosive offensively. Uh, And Missouri continues to just kind of fly under the radar. I'm happy that I can claim that I had them way above their season-long over-under. I think it was either 5.5 or 6.5, and and I had them at 7-5, and taking also a loss that they probably shouldn't take uh, and that they didn't take. Um, But I'm happy that they made a bowl game. A lot of people did not think this was going to be a bowl game team, but yet here we are. Um, so I will I will take my victory lap with that one. And I'll also take my victory lap with my preseason take on Utah. Although, uh, if you had told me before the season that Cam Rising was going to be out for the season, I-, I wouldn't have predicted that they would go on the road and beat USC in week eight. And I wouldn't have predicted that they'd be six and one probably at all. I would assume they would at least have two losses with the schedule they played. But Utah, they did it again. They went on the road. Uh, they got an upset against a against a team that they probably shouldn't have beaten. Um, and they just played tough. They played close, kept the game close the entire time. And when they needed it, Bryson Barnes made plays. He made a nice throw in the first half on a, on a well designed play to get Utah their first points. Um, and then, you know, it just kept going as the game went on. He made a big run after he there. I should put it this way there was a big hit put on him. Um, and then he got up very next play, ran it again, no fear. Uh, and that was the play that got Utah in the field goal range for the game winning field goal that they would hit to beat USC uh USc now pretty much officially out of the playoff race um but a disappointing end I, I guess the season's not over but a disappointing result for USc that's probably a game out, out of the ones they had remaining that was probably one of the more winnable ones against ranked teams um because Utah you know they have this quarterback issue yes they have a great defense but USc was still able to put points up on the board so to give up 34 points to that offense I mean Utah has played a lot of teams this year, good and bad. They have not put up 34 points many times. Florida held them under that. Uh, Baylor held them under that. I think they're, uh, honestly, uh, probably every team held them under 34, to be quite honest. Um, So USC's defense just continues to disappoint. And that's the reason why they've been losing games all season. But I was just impressed that Utah could actually pull off that upset without Camerizing. That's the type of game that I thought they could only win with him and even might not still win with, even if he was playing. Um, And then finally, it's almost getting repetitive to put this team on here. But Michigan's defense is crazy Um, amidst all the stuff going on this weekend, all the distractions that might have happened. Although, you know, a lot of people said it was late Wednesday night, Thursday night. By that time, you already have the game plan and you're already you're already in game mode um, by that day. So probably not as distracting as it could have been. But the fact of the matter is Michigan dominated Michigan State 49 to nothing. That's just not supposed to happen in rivalry games. And frankly, Michigan has been on the other end of it recently against Ohio State. Uh, Michigan has been on the same end of it with Minnesota a few times recently, including this year, Um, but obviously not as big of a rival. Um, But this is just not supposed to happen in rivalry games. Vegas had this as a 24-point line in favor of Michigan uh, and a 46.5 over under. Michigan not only doubled the cover but they single-handedly covered the over-under themselves while Michigan State made no contributions to that. Um, That's something that you don't see happen often, so I feel like that deserved its own mention for most impressive teams, despite the fact that I think everybody expected Michigan to dominate Michigan State pretty easily and not get anywhere close to losing that game.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, everybody expected domination, but um, if you watch that game, it was... uh... Pretty, pretty, pretty impressive, despite a very weakened Michigan State and undermanned, both from a coaching and roster standpoint. Okay, let's move our attention to the biggest upsets of Week 8.
1: Well, two teams that you could argue deserve to lose for different reasons lost this week. I will start with Iowa. Um, Well, Iowa didn't deserve to lose in the way that they lost the game because Cooper DeGene's punt probably should have, punt return touchdown probably should have stood, Um, but they called an invalid fair catch signal, blah, 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 blah. You've probably seen it by now if you haven't. that's not a play I can describe on a podcast. So uh, someone else can go ahead and uh, look that up if you want to. Uh, But Minnesota ended up escaping with the 12 to 10 victory. Iowa led 10 to three at the half. But of course, their archaic 1890s offense did not do anything in the second half. And Minnesota just got three field goals and that was enough to win the game. Um, Look, it's just... The the reason why I say this team deserves to lose is that at some point you need to stop the complacency. You need to change the offensive system up. You need to change the offensive coordinator. I don't care if it's the coach's son. I don't, if you were the coach of a team and my offense was this bad, I would want you to fire me. So I just don't, this is just not, it's not sustainable. I mean, Iowa is a much better program than a team that's satisfied with scoring like 10 points a game um, with half of those points coming off of defensive touchdowns. Most of the time. anyway, uh, so it's just it's just bad all all around. Uh, but Minnesota, they did a good job of going on the road, handling what they needed to handle. They have not been a good red zone team all year long, but they had Darius Taylor back this week. That helped them a lot on the running game. Um, and despite the fact that they were still not a good red zone team this week, they had the four field goals and that was enough to beat that struggling Iowa offense. And then North Carolina, I say, deserve to lose for a different reason. They just haven't played anybody. And I, I think that you know, yes, they played Miami, but how good is Miami? We don't really know. They, they've they been really, really up and down this season. Um, So for North Carolina to lose to Virginia at home, Virginia being one in five on the year with only a win against FCS, William and Mary, I, I think maybe their first FBS win in at least 12 or 13 weeks of football. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Cause they ended last season, like three and nine. So they definitely didn't do anything good in the second half of last year. Uh, but North Carolina to come out and lose this game. I mean, you were in playoff contention. You had an easy schedule, and all of a sudden, you now just fumbled it all. I mean, I think their toughest game remaining was probably at Duke. Maybe they still have to play Clemson. I don't know. Um, and then I know they don't play Florida State uh, until what would be the ACC championship game, although now that's going to be in doubt as well, because um, I think now Duke can beat North Carolina and steal their spot with two losses in the ACC. Uh, so just a huge upset, but again, I feel like North Carolina kind of deserve to lose some game just because they don't play anybody. Uh, th- they deserve to lose in an upset. I'm glad that college football has finally had a few upsets that are a little more crazy than the ones that we've been throwing out for the last few weeks because most of them have been just bad teams beating other unranked teams, um, but starting to have some craziness and especially, you know, Pac-12 after dark is is kind of supposed to be the craziest window of college football. But it's starting to become the ACC on on the CW network because both of the big upsets, Virginia over North Carolina and Pitt over Louisville, happened on that network. Um, And as a result, there's a reason why I'm not going into very much depth in this game. I didn't watch any of them. But at the same time, that network is scary. You don't want to end up there. I hope Florida State doesn't end up there because that would ruin my preseason pick for a playoff spot.
0: Yeah, really quickly, that uh Minnesota Iowa game not only was an upset, but somewhat controversial um ending. But uh from what I've heard, almost every person, including former punt returners, think that uh the officials actually got the call right. Maybe they reviewed the play for the wrong reason initially, being out of bounds or inbounds, but when they saw the waving of the left hand, they thought it was the right call. So uh crazy controvert, not only a upset, but a crazy, somewhat controversial ending to that game. All right, let's move off of college football and have our weekly look at the nfl starting with the closest games of week seven
1: we will start with the jaguars who beat the saints 31 to 24 uh the saints had an opportunity to win this game um but they dropped the game winning touchdown on third and goal uh, and instead instead of at least i guess it wasn't an opportunity to win the game it was an opportunity to send it to overtime but they would have sent it to overtime if they had scored that they didn't um, and the Jaguars instead escaped with the victory. Their offense looked really good, especially in the first half. Their defense let up a little bit in the second half, but overall still a good performance um, by the Jaguars. So that was a good result for them. Uh, then you have the Patriots who beat the Bills, the, the, the one in five Patriots, who I said might be the worst team in the league up there with, or I guess down there with Carolina. Um, they beat the bills. I mean, it's crazy because they just don't, they haven't done that recently. Obviously the bills, um, when they had Tom Brady never, sorry, the bills, when the Patriots had Tom Brady never won in Foxborough pretty much. But since then everything has changed and this is really a big reversal. The bills just haven't looked all that great all season long. I mean, I don't care what you want to say about their offense, sometimes looking out of sync. And it does because it only ever kicks in in the second half for whatever reason. I mean, again, they had three points at the at the end of the half this week and then had 10 by the end of the third quarter, and they needed 15 in the fourth quarter to take the lead. Um, but I don't know what that problem is with their offense. They do need to figure out their slow start problem. That is a huge problem for them. Uh, but at the same time, they also let Mac Jones drive down the field and do a game-winning drive. I mean, that's ridiculous. We know how bad the Patriots' offense is, especially when you make them an only passing offense. And the Bills did just that. They had the opportunity. The Patriots were running two-minute offense, and they still couldn't stop them. That's the thing that worries me even more. Um, how are you going to stop Patrick Mahomes? How are you going to stop Trevor Lawrence? How are you going to stop? I mean, I could I could go on and on and on. I'm not going to. But how, how could you stop Lamar Jackson, any of the quarterbacks in the AFC, when you can't even stop the Patriots with Mac Jones? I mean, it's crazy to me. Um, but... Regardless of that, uh, that was a bad result for the Bills. Obviously, a good win for the Patriots. Although it's probably not going to matter very much because they're already at, they were already at one and five. Now they're just two and five. But then you had the Steelers who went on the road and beat the Rams twenty four to seventeen. I say went on the road, but it didn't really sound like a road game. Uh, happens a lot at SoFi with bigger fan bases, and uh, the Steelers definitely fit that description. A lot of Steelers fans in LA. You could see terrible tassels being waved uh, in the stadium by those Steelers fans, at least for the Rams, they have pretty much the same colors, So it wasn't like it was that jarring to see the stadium in a lot of yellow. Uh, that's pretty normal, but look, the Steelers, they were losing 17 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. Uh, they scored 14 points in the fourth to take the lead and win the game. The Rams missed a lot of opportunities in this game, missed a field goal, missed an extra point. Uh, and then at the end of the game when those points could have helped and would have had it at 21 to to, sorry at 24 to 21 instead um, they instead didn't have as many points and as a result the Steelers uh, only had to hold the Rams to a field goal to a touchdown excuse me instead of having to hold them to just to under a field goal Uh, and the Rams obviously couldn't go down the field uh, and get a game-winning touchdown drive nor did they even attempt a field goal because they didn't have the opportunity obviously since they were down by seven instead but a game of missed opportunities for the rams a good win for the steelers who are now at four and two on the season and speaking of four and two teams in the afc north uh the browns went on the road and beat the colts 39 to 38 this game was ridiculous uh deshaun watson got knocked out earlier in the second half or early in the second quarter i should say actually Um, And this game was a battle of two backup quarterbacks and yet 77 combined points, including one of the best defenses in the NFL, if not the best defense. So that was a crazy game. Um, Miles Garrett was, you know, it's hard. It's hard to think that a defensive player could have a ridiculous game when he when his defense gave up 38 points. But Miles Garrett had like nine tackles, two sacks. He blocked a field goal. He had an interception. He did everything uh, for the Browns. And really, in the first half, he was the only reason they were still in the game, frankly. Um, helping flip field position, uh, causing safeties, causing havocs. Uh, he forced a fumble that turned into a defensive touchdown. Uh, he was doing a lot on the field for the Browns. Uh, then you had the Falcons, who beat the Buccaneers 16-13, to 13, despite fumbling twice at the one-yard line. You rarely see a team do that and actually escape with the victory. But the Falcons did do that, and now they're at 4-3 and three, uh, at the top of that division alone, which is crazy but that division is not good, as we know. Um, then probably the craziest upset of the week, the Vikings without Justin Jefferson went and beat the 49ers on Monday night football uh, records be damned. Kirk cousins has been pretty bad in primetime games in his career in terms of win loss record. His stats aren't actually that bad, but in terms of winning and losing games, he's not been that good. Um, and Brock Purdy, meanwhile, was three, and zero in his young career. On primetime games, but here come the Vikings. They beat the 49ers 22 to 17 uh, after four one score losses this year. Obviously last year, they were 11 to zero in one possession games. Uh, and that's how they got to such a good record. And this year they look bad because they have four losses, all four losses in one score games, but they finally flipped their misfortunes into fortunes this week. And they beat the 49ers in a one possession game. I uh, had a good defensive stand at the end of the game. Uh, to force the Niners into an interception. Uh, I think it was Cam Bynum's second of the game, uh, and that sealed the victory for the Vikings, who now move to three and four, which honestly, in that division, yes, the Lions are pretty good, but everybody else isn't very good. If they can steal a win or two against the Lions when they play them head-to-head, they might actually have a chance to come back and win this division.
0: All right, let's now move our attention to the most impressive teams of week seven. I will go to the Kansas City Chiefs. They won 31-17
1: to 17, uh, over the Chargers. Yes, the Chargers have had some struggles to start the year. Yes, they're 2-4. and four. Um, But look, the Chargers are going to do Chargers things. That's out of the Chiefs' control. We know that this team still has a lot of offensive talent, so it's still a, it's still a tough challenge to hold the Chargers to just 17 points. Uh, the Chiefs definitely didn't play their best offensively in the second half uh, as they were struggling to put the game away. But their defense, after giving up 17 in the first half and only holding a 7-point lead, Their defense held the Chargers scoreless in the entire second half, so they deserve a lot of credit for that. Uh, I also obviously don't think that a 14-point game goes on best games or closest games, so uh, I ended up just leaving this in most impressive for that reason. Then you have the Eagles, who won 31-17. to This defense was amazing. Uh, Raheem Mostert had negative 8 yards rushing in the first half. That is, you almost never see an NFL running back who has negative rushing yards through an entire half. Uh, on three or four carries because the Dolphins just could not get the ball going running wise and the Eagles forced them to be a passing team. Obviously that's an explosive passing offense. And the Dolphins did end up still with 10 points at the end of the first half, Um, but the Eagles were up 17 to 10 at the half. And also one of those, uh, the touchdown they did score, I think was a pick six off of Jalen Hurts. So if you actually look at how the Eagles defense played, they only gave up 10 points to the, to the Dolphins offense. Um, and obviously that's one of the most prolific offenses in the league, if not the most prolific, but AJ Brown just continues to be a game record. Um, it's hard to put a receiver as a game record, but he's just too big to guard one-on-one. Uh, and he's actually way faster than people give him credit for as well. Um, his fifth straight 125 yard game, which is an NFL tied for an NFL record. I think only he and two others have done that all time. Um, but, Look, A.J. Brown and that defense, that is a combo that not many teams can stop, even if Jalen Hurts has a bunch of turnovers. I mean, you know, they would have won the Super Bowl last year had it not been for a Jalen Hurts turnover. So fact of the matter is, we know how good this team is. Everybody knows how good they will be. They will still be a championship contender this year. Um, and then speaking of championship contenders, there was another big game this weekend between the Lions and the Ravens. Uh, both teams, or excuse me, the Lions 5-1 and one going into the week, the Ravens 4-2. and two and it was expected to be a close game but it was not close at all the ravens won 38 to 6 they were up 28 to nothing at the half they things were so desperate that the lions were going for it on fourth and 8 or fourth and 10 uh, in field goal range at the very end of the first half because they knew that if they didn't score a touchdown on that drive they had no chance in the whole game um just desperation from the lions early because the ravens had just done so much to dominate the game uh, Lamar Jackson said that any team who didn't trade for him or any coach who, come, who came out and made public comments that they weren't going to make a trade for him, that he would, you know, circle those dates on the calendar. And uh, yeah, he did circle the date with the lines on the calendar. You could tell this was easily Lamar's best game of the year. Um, by far the best quarterback performance of the weekend. He was ridiculous uh, with, I think, four touchdowns, uh, and including the one on the ground that he had. Uh, and barely threw any incomplete passes. It really looked like a a college stat line of, I don't know, Tua against some random FCS school, like against the Citadel or something when he was at Alabama. Um, But just a great performance by the Ravens all around. Their defense deserves a lot of credit too, because that is a high-powered Lions offense that they did not let get on the board until literally garbage time.
0: All right, let's move off of football and move on to Major League Baseball uh, with our weekly review. We'll start with a quick review of the American League Divisional Series and a National League Divisional Series uh, recap, actually Championship Series recap, and then move on to the ongoing Championship Series matchups. Let's start in the American League Championship Series. The Rangers
1: beat the Astros in seven games. Uh, Game three, we already talked about the first two games last week. We won't be talking about the Division Series at all because they've been over. Um, Correct, my bad. Game three, game four, game five, the road team won. That's the Astros. They won eight to five in Game Three, won ten to three in Game Four, and then won five to four in Game Five. Uh, I will I I won't go into too much depth for Game Three or Game Four because it was so long ago. Um, But Game Five, that game was ridiculous. Um, The Astros had the Rangers, excuse me, had an opportunity to extend their lead many times, didn't do it. Uh, They had an opportunity to get plenty of insurance runs, never did it. They had an opportunity to just pile on early, didn't do it, and all of a sudden it came back to bite them. Because with 8, 9, and 1 coming up in the lineup, uh, I believe it was Aroldis Chapman on the mound, who, it might have been Josh Spores actually. I don't really remember. One of of those two relievers that they use as their high leverage guys uh, came in and walked. Actually, no, I think it was Jose Leclerc, who walked the 8 and 9 batters, actually hit Martin Maldonado on an 0-2 pitch, and then walked, I believe it was John Singleton, who was up in that position. And then Jose Altuve came up with, the base with two guys on base and hit a three-run home run with the Astros down four to two the definition of clutch uh as he led the Astros to that game five victory and that was a that was an essential game obviously the series was tied two to two at that point so the winner looked very very likely uh to go on and win the next game but then the Rangers came back and they won both games in Houston nine to two in game six eleven to four in game seven their offense exploded when they needed it to the most. Uh Adelaide Garcia hit a big home run uh in game five and then excuse me. Yeah, no, no, in game five. Um, and was thrown at by Brian Abreu because of his reaction on his three-run home run that gave the that gave the Rangers their big lead. Um, but then uh he came up in game six, and after striking out the first four at bats, he hit a grand slam. Uh so that was that was something to see. And then, again, in Game 7, he had a two-home run game, uh, and he very easily claimed ALCS MVP. He, uh, he actually had the most RBIs uh, in any postseason before the World Series has started in MLB history. So a ridiculous run that Adelise Garcia is on right now. Uh, as I told you, they've played 12 postseason games. He has six home runs and 19 RBI, uh, which – you know, you take that rate right over a whole season, you're looking at some ridiculous numbers. That's that's 80 home runs, um, and that's also, I'm doing the math right now, that would be 256 RBIs as well. Um, so I would take an 80 home run, 256 RBI season from anybody, and that team would likely easily walk away with the World Series. Uh, so if Garcia keeps playing how he is playing right now, I don't think either of the teams in the in the NL can beat the Rangers. Although... The Phillies are definitely the one that uh,
0: are, are geared up more to do that, but we'll have to see what happens in that because that series isn't over. All right, let's turn our attention to the National League Championship Series uh, that isn't over. The
1: Phillies and the Diamondbacks are tied in the after game six. They will be playing a game seven. The Phillies were up two to nothing. Uh, everybody assumed it was a foregone conclusion. After the Phillies won game two, 10 to nothing at home that, you know, even if the Diamondbacks won Two of the three at home, or, or one of the three at home or, or, or all of them at home. Everybody still thought that Philly was going to come back uh, to Philly and win those games at home. But all of a sudden, the Diamondbacks won the first two, they even the series up with a walkoff win in game four. Uh, they were playing good Diamondbacks baseball, some really good pitching from them in game three with a little bit of, a, a little bit of a piece together. Uh, pitching plan that included Brandon Fott, not actually a real, uh, you know, I won't say a real starter. He's a real starter, but not a not a big name starter, not Zach Allen, not Merrill Kelly. Um, and instead, he was able to lead them to the victory in game four. Uh, had another good performance. Um, and they ended up getting the walk-off off of Craig Kimbrell to win that game 6-5 to five and tie it up. Game five, the Phillies jumped on the Diamondbacks early, though. Schwarber hit a 460-foot home run. Bryce Harper hit a 440-foot home run. And the Phillies ended up winning six to one pretty comfortably. And you thought that, you know, with the Phillies up three to two uh, over the Diamondbacks, this would this series would probably end in game six. But the Diamondbacks last night came back and responded one game six, five to one. And now all of a sudden we have a game seven tonight. No idea who's going to win. Uh, I do think that the Rangers, if I were to make a pick right now, I would pick the Rangers uh, over the Phillies. Uh Or the Diamondbacks. I I don't think either of those teams, in my opinion, are better than the Rangers, uh, at least with how they're currently playing and how things are set up for them pitching wise um, with more rest. But I will say, I think the Phillies are going to pull it out tonight. I think they're going to win game seven. Um, And then if they are playing them, I'll say Rangers in six will win that series because it's also worth noting that Philly has been great at home throughout the postseason. The Rangers are undefeated on the road. Uh, So that'll be an interesting battle to look at. But Regardless, the Rangers are going to be prepared to go into a hostile environment um, and win, and I think that that will give them the advantage over Philly because they're really not going to be afraid of the Philly crowd, and I think they might steal a few games when they do play on the road, and they have home field in the first place. So if they can get at least one of the two games at home and then take one of the two uh, in Philly, I think they'll be in a good position to win that series at home. Uh, So I have the Rangers winning that one, uh, I I believe, in six games because I think they'll actually get – two of the first five and then seal it in that final game at home or three of the first five, I should say. But that, that's my prediction for that. Uh, overall, it's been an interesting postseason. season I, I think really we've lacked close game action until the last few games of the championship series. Uh, so it, it's been an interesting one in terms of storylines, but each individual game has not been that interesting. I will just say that and hope for a very entertaining world series to kind of flip that narrative on its head.
0: Yeah. Except for that game five of uh, the American League Championship Series, which may have been one of the best games ever. Kind of bland games, like you've said. All right, um, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Halloween, Tuesday, October 31st, where we will once again look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, look at week nine of college football action, review NFL week eight action, and have our review of World Series action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content including the 4th and 24 college football poll that is posted every Monday. Patrick's first NCAA basketball tournament bracket, projected tournament bracket, will be posted this Wednesday, so please be sure to check that out. And as always, his picks for next weekend's games are posted on Thursday. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.